proof, the evidence or sequence of steps that compel the mind to accept a thing as true. Today on The Janice Adams Show, proof, media for social justice, transformational photography for human rights, and peace building. What proof would like to achieve by having this exhibit, Rescuers, Picturing Moral Courage, is that you can actually visualize yourself doing acts of moral courage, that you can go from being a bystander or an outsider and step up to be an upstander when you see, see things that are going wrong in your environment. And sometimes that's very hard to do. But if you have stories of other people and you can imagine yourself through these stories of changing a situation to make it better, then this exhibit has done the job. First, the news. Proof, the evidence or sequence of steps that compel the mind to accept a thing as true. Proof, a trial positive print from a negative. Proof, media for social justice, transformational photography, visual storytelling for human rights and peace building. Today on The Janice Adams Show, our guest is Leora Kahn, founder and executive director of Proof Media for social justice. Based in New York City, Proof inspires change in global attitudes and policy with its touring exhibits and educational outreach for teens and adults. In 2006, Leora Khan, a photo editor, documentary producer, and human rights advocate, had a vision to engage internationally renowned photojournalists for social good. Now celebrating its 10th anniversary year, Proof brings together photographers, documentarians, journalists, academics, students, and activists to create exhibitions, publications, and workshops that document social injustices and empower the broader public to change the world for justice. Through moving firsthand testimonies and powerful photo narratives, Proof has engaged millions globally in conversations about human rights, peace, and justice. One such proof of this organization's powerful reach is its landmark touring exhibition, Picturing Moral Courage, The Rescuers. Here's Leora Kahn. Proof started around 10 years ago when I was working with a group of uh, photojournalists around the issue of Darfur, and we really thought that using uh, visual storytelling could make a change. So we got together with um, Amnesty International and Participant Films and the Museum of the Holocaust in Houston and created a book and an exhibit on Darfur. And that really launched us. Um, and we uh, distributed the book around the country and the muse museum traveled the exhibition also around the country to around 10 or 15 different places. So we really felt the power of visual media would help sort of activate people to change. And um, we felt that, that, was, that was, it really worked. What do you mean by activate people to change? Well, we really wanted people to look at what was going on through the pictures and through testimonies to stand up against uh, social injustice 
And that's really sort of the key to what Proof does. It's all of our project is is it's really a, the photography ser- serves the photography and the testimony serve as a tool to get people to become activists in their own way. So, for example, the pictures and the project that we did on rescuers, which is looking at ordinary people who stood up against um, genocide in their home countries and saved the other, we use those as examples of moral courage, of role models, so people can look at those pictures, read those stories, and imagine themselves as being able to do that. And we do that through using an ex- exhibitions, and then we do workshops and conferences and other teaching um, classes around the uses of the photos and testimonies. So it's not just about, I mean, when you're dealing with a photo exhibit, you're obviously dealing with the past just by definition. But the way you're describing it, you're taking that understanding of the past and turning it almost like a school for social justice so that we know how we might behave in an alternate way in the present. Is that the case? The rescuers is exactly that. This exhibit is an exhibit that showcases human behavior. People that chose to be rescuers uh, at four different genocidal moments in human history. The Rescuers Project started in Rwanda as a peacebuilding project. And it was a peacebuilding project between the Hutus and the Tutsis after the 1994 genocide. That's how the project started. And with that, we decided to bring the project and interview 30 Hutus who had saved Tutsis. And then we went to Bosnia and interviewed Serbians who saved Muslims, Muslims who saved Serbs, and and the other ethnic groups. And as well as we went to Cambodia and moved to the Holocaust. The idea of picturing moral courage or the rescuers is that you can teach about going from a bystander to an upstander by visual storytelling. In the exhibition, you see amazing photographs by four different photographers who, with the team from Proof, photographed and took testimonies in four different countries. Taking the pictures of the rescuers was um, important for me and uh, really emotional because we were at the houses in the private uh, rooms and um, they had to tell the stories and uh, by the time you can see how the faces changes, um, I, I I was honored to take the pictures of the history. These pictures in this exhibit will help us at the museum to open conversations with lots and lots of different people. The exhibit has been seen by over a million people. We use it in schools, in colleges, and in museums such as the Holocaust Museum in Houston. An exhibit like this that allows our visitors to come face to face 
with people who live far, far away from them, um, who live in different environments than they do, uh, places the students in a really powerful um, opportunity to think about themselves and the reflection of others um, in, in our worldwide community. The Rescuers, um, the project gave me a lot of um, moments to think about who we are and what we are capable of in situations like that. And um, it's not only history, it happens all the time and it's ha happened uh, every day. And we, um, we have to remember that through the project and through the stories of the people. What Proof would like to achieve by having this exhibit, Rescuers, Picturing Moral Courage, is that you can actually visualize yourself doing acts of moral courage, that you can go from being a bystander or an outsider and step up to be an upstander when you see, see things that are going wrong in your environment. And sometimes that's very hard to do. But if you have stories of other people and you can imagine yourself through these stories of changing the situation to make it better, then this exhibit has done the job. Moral Courage, The Rescuers, just one in a series of transformational exhibits produced by Proof, Media for Social Justice, brainchild of Leora Kahn, Proof's founder and executive director. How did she get here? And from where? Proof was inspired by her 25-year career as a photo editor. But what is a photo editor? So a photo editor looks if you're at a magazine or a newspaper or a book, you either assign uh, photographers to take pictures of a story, like in Syria or Iraq or property in the United States, or if you're going to be working in Ferguson. So you, you, you assign a photographer like Michael Kirby Smith to go in and shoot a story. And then the photo editor does the, the edit. They choose the pictures that would go on the front page of the newspaper, or they would choose a photo story that goes in a book, or they would choose, um, you know, a story, pictures for an annual report, like the Ford Foundation, where I worked. Um, and you would create a either a publication or a print piece, um, and or a of visual media. I mean, nowadays, you know, you, you can do a slideshow on on your website or you can do a slideshow for many different things. So that's what a photo editor does, that so you either assign or you actually find photos, existing photos that you can um, use to illustrate a story. Were you a photographer? Never. And I'm a terrible photographer, too. So, so how did you get into no, it? I've never been a photographer. So how did you get into it? I actually was an art teacher, um, and I was teaching um, middle school in Washington, D.C., and I really did not like it. And I got a job with a friend of mine at U.S. News and World Report Books, and that started my career um, as a photo researcher slash editor. And then when I moved to New York, um, a long time ago, I really started freelancing at many, many different places, the New York Times, Ford Foundation, um, different magazines, and book publishers. And then finally, um, I decided to 
quit being a photo editor. I was working at Workman Publishing at the time um, and to start proof um, and use my skills as a, a visual storyteller uh, to really try to make a change in social justice. Is there a moment that you knew that that was the focus, not necessarily proof, but that your focus was going to be social justice work? Yes. Actually, I mean, I've done social justice work um, most of my life. My family has been very, um, that was sort of our, our motto is to, you know, help others heal the world um, and have done that as a volunteer. But when I um, decided to go back to school after my children graduated college, I decided to go back to school in um, international affairs. I had worked at the Ford Foundation for many years and really loved the work that they do. I worked as their photo editor in their communications department and realized that in order to sort of get out of the communications department and do something more on the program program, level, I needed to get a master's degree. And so I went back to school, the new school, and got a degree in international affairs, um, focusing on conflict transformation and peace building. And because of my age, I was middle-aged <laughs> and older, I really felt that using my skills and using photography was really the way that I could make the most of uh, the skills that I had in, 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 in using it to, for social change. Is there a photo that was iconic for you growing up that you would point to now and say that that made a difference for you or that began to fill your mental notebook in terms of building the woman you would become? I think the Eddie Adams picture of the general shooting the soldier um, at, during the Vietnam War, that very iconic photo was a huge influence on me um, and has stuck with me. And probably most people, that is the iconic image besides the girl fleeing the na- napalm yeah. in Vietnam. But I think that iconic image really, really made a difference and, and stuck with me throughout my life. So you, you're mentioning these two images that are war-related images, and it strikes me that in recent wars there's been such restriction on the reporters, the journalists and photographers, and in fact, I think probably prompted by the Vietnam War and the access that they had and how that changed the war. So I would ask then, through the photos, what kind of resistance have you experienced to photography, to this work? What have you seen? That's a really good question, Janice, because I have seen a big change. I did a book with Workman Publishing um, with Peter Howe called Shooting Under Fire. Um, it was probably like, you know, six or seven years ago. And at that point, that Eddie Adams picture was really sort of astounding that it made it to the United States press. Because before that picture, and probably after that picture, Americans do not like to see 
horrible um, pictures. So, for example, you know, that picture was so horrible, um, it changed, you know, the way. It it probably very influenced many more protests and helped change the way the, the, the Vietnam War went. So when I did this book called Shooting Under Fire, we actually published photographs that never would have made it to the front page of the New York Times or any other paper for that matter. And we really felt it was important for people to see those really um, rough pictures because they actually do have the ability to make the change. So when I did our book on Darfur, we published a lot of very somewhat grisly pictures um, that would have been shocking to most people. I think there's been a change because, as you can see now, there's been very disturbing pictures coming out of the Syrian refugees, the Syrian child, dead child washing up. Um, so there has been a, a shift, in, in, especially in the United States, for people to be able to accept having these very rough images on the front page. And I think that's a good thing. I think we need to be able to see and look at what's really going on and see, like, all the coffins that have been lined up um, of U.S. soldiers um, coming back from the United States and see that little boy and see those refugees. I think it makes a difference. It makes a tremendous difference. Before the Vietnam photography, I remember the civil rights photography and the iconic photo and moment for that era is the open casket photo of Emmett Till that John Johnson put on the cover of Jet magazine. And up until that point, every uh, it was easy to refer to lynching. It was a pack of lies, but it was easy to refer to lynching as being, you know, a black man jumps out of the bushes and he wants a white woman. But here was a 14-year-old child who had been mauled and gouged and beaten to death and his bloated face became this cover image and the fact that they had, the police or the sheriffs in the area in Mississippi had so tried to cover up that photo. And that photo not only changed the way people saw lynching, but it then empowers Rosa Parks. And she has been documented as saying to herself when they asked her, why did she keep her seat on that bus? Why did she refuse to give up her seat to racism? And her response was, I thought of Emmett Till and I kept my seat. So, you know, when we talk about the power of photography and action, it really has that power. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We'll be back here on the Janice Adams Show right after this break. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. 
Today on the Janice Adams Show, we're paying tribute to Proof Media for Social Justice. Proof's signature educational outreach program, Picture Justice, trains high school students in photojournalism. In this clip, we learn about the impact of the program on its participants. Stories can help people go out that fear that they have about communication. A good story about a man giving an elder lady a seat, you know, that would catch the mind of the people to say, wow, that's moral consciousness. So a good story should be about moral aspect of a person developing this. Please stop. Why do you feel motivated to do this course? Like, why spend two weeks of your summer doing a human rights social justice course? And he, and he thought about it and he said, because I feel passive. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, you know, there's all these things happening, like Black Lives Matter, people getting arrested or not getting arrested. What's like, there's all of these things happening. And I see them all, but I don't know what to do about it. And I feel, I feel dissatisfied being passive, but I don't know how to be active. And when, when this young man said that, for me it was like, that, that is the cherry on the cake. Like that is what Picture Justice gives the opportunity for, is to find different ways to act, whether it's taking the photo, listening to someone's story, documenting someone's story. It's all these different ways. Someone's interested enough in me to tell a story to and not just be a storyteller, but to actually say something about myself that's real, that's tangible, and that has differed now. Because I'm not the same person I used to be. And I, say, and I don't look like what I've been through. So I'm glad today that I can tell anybody anything about myself and be grateful that someone's interested enough in me to want to hear what I have to say. Sometimes in life, you realize that sometimes a life is not important except for the impact it has on other lives. And if my story did that, then I must be doing it right now. Picture Justice, Proof's signature journalism program for students, is the brainchild of founder Leora Kahn. Coming up, Leora is joined by Joel Proust, a professor at the University of Dayton. He worked with Proof to bring the rescuers to Ohio. And photographer and filmmaker Michael Kirby Smith, known for his work in conflict zones, Michael's photojournalism appears in the New York Times. He teaches photography in Proof's Picture Justice program. Picture Justice is a creative photojournalism program that's designed to educate high school students around social justice issues and empower them with tools um, and confidence that they need to change, lead the change in the community. So what we do is two parts. We have a human rights teacher who really talks about the issues that we're working on. So, for example, this year we worked on mass incarceration, and we want them to really think critically and, and talk and think about being an active citizen. What, what does it mean to be a citizen in, in the United States at this time? And to promote compassion and empathy with the people that we're working with. So 
they go around and we listen and, and talk to different organizations um, around New York City as their classroom, and they hear stories from people that have actually been incarcerated that are working against the what we call the injustice system and working with um, advocates for those people that have been incarcerated. So the two parts are the human rights education, and the second part is the uh, photography training so that they can use that as part of the tool. And then we create with the students an exhibition that goes out and around to the schools, to libraries, to other community centers. And um, the United Nations School is our partner on this, and they create um, once a year. They have a big conference around the issues that we're working with. So last year we did mass incarceration. This year we're going to be having a conference on immigration. The work that you're doing with the students, who are the students? You mentioned that the UN school is your partner on it. Is that the only school that's a feeder school of students to the program? No, and this is what's really cool about this program. The United Nations School has sponsored this entire program so that they've given scholarships, not just to their students at the United Nations School, but we've been able to, through the United Nations School, get scholarships for p public schools, schools that, students that normally would never be able to go to this two-week program in the summer. So they've given scholarships to eight kids, and they've come, and they are the public school and private school, and that's a very, very unusual and very generous um, program that the United Nations School Improved has developed. So this year we had two two-week programs. One was on mass incarceration, as I said. The second one was on immigration, and we had the United Nations school students as well as eight undocumented uh, high school students who joined the program together. Interesting. So you had people who could offer personal proof as well as documenting the proof Exactly. So it was a really interesting dynamic between the two groups, and they learned to work together and understand each other's stories. In, in your work as director of the project um, and creator of, of this concept, what did you learn by observing the students? I think that the students and the participants really uh, changed their views about each other and about going into a situation with one idea of what it's going to be, you have a preconceived notion. It's really impossible not to. And then you come out feeling completely different with a completely different understanding of the situation because who gets to really hear and interact with, you know, a community of people that you've never been able to really, that you know. I mean, I don't know people in my world um, that are involved in, you know, that have had been incarcerated. Other people might have, but not, not the students that we were, were teaching. And the same probably goes with, I know, in the Ferguson community. Um, so I think it gave me a chance to really listen and really try to understand in a small way what these issues, people actually involved in these issues, might have felt and are feeling. And we still work with these people today. So we mm -hmm. not only bring the students in, but we 
end up working with the people that we've interviewed and continue to have a relationship and continue to have them involved in the projects that we're working on. In this giving back, Michael, you are a photographer. You are now training these students in photography. Tell us about your work. Yeah, so so my my role as a, a proof um, photography teacher is is really two things. It's trying to get the students comfortable with their cameras and trying to get them comfortable with engaging with subjects. So the way that we've kind of broken it down is where we are teaching them the technical side of photography, the fundamentals of photojournalism and storytelling, as well as portraiture. Um, and we are also teaching them how to you know, put themselves out in the world and, you know, put those cameras to work and engage with subjects in in the world to to try to find those stories and tell those stories. In doing this work, what is, is there a unique experience that you've had or, or an experience that stood out, a moment that stood out that resonated particularly with you as the now recipient, not just the giver? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the uh, one of the most rewarding things that I've experienced as a teacher is um, when you know when we first after we get through the technical introduction to photography and get and get the kids uh, or the young adults comfortable with their cameras, um, we we assign them, um, we put them out in the world. So we go to a park or we, we take them somewhere and we ask them to go to, you know, to go up to people, to engage with people and try to try to take pictures and, and find out their stories. And um, I think one of the rewarding things as a teacher is on several occasions, um, you know, some of the students would come back and, and they were frustrated or they, they didn't have uh, pictures, they weren't able to engage with people because they, you know, went up to subjects and, you know, asked if they could take their photograph and they were told no, so they they felt rejected in a certain sense. And so I I could definitely relate to that. Um, And basically one of the, so one of the things that I would try to teach them is like, okay, well, let's, let's go try to find subjects together. So I would work with the students and go up to, to people and talk to people and kind of broker a situation where the, where the students could feel more comfortable in engaging with the subjects. And then they started to take pictures. And then before you knew it, they were, um, it allowed them to have much more confidence in engaging with people and going up to strangers and talking to people. Mm-hmm. And as, as a teacher, that was very rewarding to me because I could, when I was first starting out in photography, that was one of the most intimidating things was going up to people, trying to figure out a way to engage with them so that you could um, find yourself in a situation to take their, their photograph. And I think that that's a, that's a huge part of what photography is and what photojournalism is in general, is trying to figure out ways how to access stories, how to engage with your subject matter, how to represent them in a way that um, they feel comfortable and that is representative of their story. Joel, you actually are a full-time professor at the university level. Tell us about your work with Proof. Yeah, thanks, Janice. Uh, 
Proof and the University of Dane uh, first became involved together almost four years ago. Uh, Leora came and spoke at a conference that we hosted uh, in 2013, and in 2015, our Human Rights Center hosted a proof exhibit, The Rescuers, uh, on campus, uh, during which time Leora pitched this idea, which is basically to take Proof's storytelling model, uh, partner with the university, train a team of uh, undergraduate students uh, in the the art and the skill of uh, interviewing and, and taking testimony, and then sort of drop them as a team in a uh, in an area to uh, to sort of cover the story and and, and, and uncover stories. Uh, so when Bjorn and I started working to uh, draw up uh, a site uh, for what would become the Moral Courage Project in Ferguson, we thought about domestic and international locations and ultimately ended up in Ferguson uh, for its uh, place as the touchstone for the new movement for black lives. You were telling us about the Moral Courage Project and also about what brought you into that project, your work with the rescuers. Tell us how you interacted with that project. Sure. Well, the Rescuers is a, a project that Lior did over the course of years with Proof, and we hosted the photo exhibit, The Rescuers, on campus uh, at the University of Dayton in 2015. And essentially, the Moral Courage Project became a, a domestic uh, incarnation of the Rescuers. So we wanted to go to a place uh, and uncover people who, and uh, discover people who transformed and acted extraordinarily during times of great conflict and crisis. Uh, the Rescuers itself took place in post-conflict settings, places recovering from genocide and mass atrocities. Uh, we went to Ferguson, which was uh, recovering from its own unrest and its own disruption. Uh, and so we went looking for stories there. Ordinarily, as Americans, we're actually trained not to see the link between what's going on abroad and what's going on at home. Here you've brought it really very close into proximity. What did you learn from that experience? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Um, I think, uh, first of all, when we talk to Ferguson protesters and people in the community in the greater St. Louis area, they see themselves in a global context. So they see their struggle for justice uh, against police violence in the same breath as uh, Palestinian protesters or Brazilian protesters or South African, Russian, French, etc. They see themselves in very much that global context. So uh, I think making that linkage was actually rather easy for us because it was, ma- it was made for us. Um, and there's also a sort of, um, you know, a sort of a blindness that we have, I think, in the United States to thinking that human rights problems are those problems that only occur somewhere else. Um, and I think that that's a mistake, but I think it's also one that we're increasingly uh, working around and, and, and seeing in greater uh, specificity. Is there a, a moment um, I've been asking, because we're talking about change, I'm asking about changes in you. And, you know, we all have these dinner party conversations, and there's always the moment um, if you say something, quote, provocative, and I'm always taken by the word provocative for or or controversial because it's interesting some of our some of our um in our history I, I i always find it interesting for example that when you refer to the kkk or something egregious like that that's not called controversial but a person like jesse jackson who whose whole life was spent trying to 
end the repression of the KKK, he's called controversial. So in that spirit, I'm asking the question, when you have one of those dinner party conversations and you're speaking to someone who has not done the work that you've done, who has not made some of the transitions that you've made, have you had a surprising moment there? And how did you deal with it? Yeah, well, you know, Ferguson is uh, is a trigger word for many people. I mean, the very name of this small, uh, otherwise unknown place in northern St. Louis um, is, is a very sort of triggering uh, response for people. And ostensibly for many African Americans, it, it uh, triggers, uh, you know, memories of, of police repression. Uh, and for many white people, it triggers sort of this unfair judgment of uh, all white people as racism, as racist, for instance. And so, you know, yeah, in many, in many different uh, environments, I mentioned my, uh, my, our work, uh, our work with Proof in Ferguson, and um, I get all sorts of reactions. But I think increasingly, and maybe, you know, since it's been a couple of years, um, since the, you know, the uprising and protest movement um, began in 2014, um, there's increasingly more awareness of the fact that it was not an isolated event. Um, and so, in, you know, in Minneapolis and in Baton Rouge this past summer, you know, the headline on, on the front of the paper, I think, in Minneapolis says, we, we don't want to be another Ferguson, you know. And so, you know, there are changes, in fact, taking place uh, since the last two years, both in terms of police accountability, but also in terms of a broader awareness um, among the American population about the persistence not only of racism, but of over-policing and, you know, marginalization of, uh, of black communities, particularly in terms of criminal justice and law enforcement. So when we look at the Moral Courage Project and, and your work in Ferguson, what do we see? So we went to Ferguson to, you know, look for stories that um, at least push back against the dominant narratives about Ferguson as having been purely a struggle between protesters and police. There definitely was that struggle uh, that was very uh, routinely captured in mainstream media. But we also assumed, and we were, uh, it, it was borne out for us, that there were endless other stories that had not been told. Um, uh, so we interviewed uh, faith leaders, community leaders, organizers, uh, a librarian, uh, business owners. I mean, people all over the greater St. Louis uh, uh, area that had a range of transformative experiences, the names of whom we we would never have heard, and and in fact the 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 humane uh, experiences that they had uh, were largely glossed over in in most of the coverage, and so you know we talked to many people who were transformed in the process and felt a, a real compulsion to reinvest themselves in their in their community to um, get involved more deeply in uh, whether it's cross-cultural dialogue or community building or you know grassroots organizing or any of these um, these areas that they feel that if they were successful in these new areas then maybe some of the healing could occur that needs to occur and you know maybe some of the the, the, the traumatic experiences that they went through in those times wouldn't be uh, replicated for others in the future. That which touches me most is that I had a chance to work with people, passing on to others that which was passed on to me. 
We'll be back here on the Janice Adams Show right after this break. We're back here on the Janice Adams Show, speaking with our guests, Leora Kahn, founder and executive director of Proof Media for Social Justice, photographer and filmmaker Michael Kirby Smith, and Professor Joel Proust, who heads the University of Dayton collaboration with Proof's Moral Courage Project. Yeah, I think one thing that uh, really bears um, emphasizing about the, the power of the Moral Courage Project is the way in which we were able to engage um, uh, 10 undergraduate students in the work that Proof has been doing for all these years. So we trained them in testimony taking, we did research around Ferguson and policing and, and, and all, all sorts of things. Um, but ultimately, we probably couldn't really prepare them for the work that they did because we were in Ferguson for two weeks. We worked very long days for you know practically 15 days straight. Um, and despite the intense uh, environment, and it was intense, we heard intense stories, we were working closely together, etc. Um, the students not only performed remarkably um, and you know far exceeded our expectations of what we thought we could accomplish, but in the process they really had um, what they've expressed to be uh, really transformative experiences, um, something that we couldn't deliver in a classroom if we tried, and something that we think uh, you know the University of Dayton does uniquely, which is you know put our students in these kinds of uh, environments where they can really learn as they do, right? Uh, really be involved in communities, learn sort of from the ground up, from below, that is to say, you know, instead of studying human rights just in terms of international law or these other uh, issues, uh, what does human rights and, and different kinds of struggles and movements look like from below? Um, and our students really got a very unique uh, perspective on those, on those uh, issues. Is there a specific transformation that you can relate to us? Yeah, I, I really saw our students grow and mature over the course of a few months, and I don't, I don't think that's overstating it. Um, they really dug into the issues. They really committed to the project, um, and they, uh, you know, ex- expressed personal growth and, and maturity, but also a transformation in how they understand race, racism, the history of race and racism in the United States, um, relationships between communities and police, uh, you know, uh, the inadequacies of the criminal justice system um, to properly uh, protect and uphold the rights of African Americans. Uh, we really got a firsthand account of all of these issues that are, are 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 around us all the time, but it's a, it's very rare for us to have this kind of um, very personal connection to it. Yeah, I just want to jump in too because I think the students also learned, you know, you can teach about how to listen and how to take interviews and how to, you know, hear people's stories, but I think one of the hardest things for them to really learn, which they did, was to sit there and listen to somebody's story that can be very painful but also inspiring, and I think that does lead to change, which is really sort of illustrates the power of the testimony. So they not only learned about the the issues of what happened in social injustice there, but they also learned this really good skill of listening to a story. And Mm -hmm. I think they came out with so many different skills, including, you know, the knowledge and the listening and the ability to uh, hear hard stories. 
And, of course, the key to understanding is listening. Simple yes, as that. and you can teach that, but when you actually go out and do it, it's a huge difference. I mean, Joel and I were sort of, we were with them while they were taking the interviews, and, you know, I've been doing this for many, many years, but I still learn every time I go and do it, and it's still hard to sit there and really listen and hear these stories. And the students did such an amazing job. And you can see the transformation after we get got back each night and debriefed about what they learned and how they felt. It must have been a very emotional experience for them because I, what, regardless of the perspective from which you come, it's never easy to be forced to see that you may have missed something and have to see something differently. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, again, in, in our training, we could say, oh, don't go in with assumptions. But of course, you know, everybody goes everywhere with assumptions, even as much as we try to be sort of self-reflective about it. Um, and that's true, you know, even if you were, even if you were sort of aware of, you know, uh, police repression in different areas, um, even so maybe you had an assumption about the righteousness of the cause, the righteousness of protesters. And then when we get into it, it turns out that, yes, they did these remarkable things, but even the protesters are imperfect and they are, uh, have these views that you don't wholly agree with and all these uh, other things. So um, I really think that we were challenged from, from a, a range of different uh, angles, which is powerful. I just want to talk with you about the power of photography and why you do the work you do. Leora? I have been a photo editor for many, many years, and I have felt that photography really, you don't have to read a lot of words to get the point of what you're trying to get across. So when you look at a picture of a, for example, that very famous picture now of a Syrian child, that really enables people to really think quickly about a situation. You get it immediately. You don't have to read words. The, and, and so I think that is a, is a very powerful way to communicate to people immediately. And there's an immediate impact. Along Now, what we do is we use photography for storytelling as well, but we add the testimonies of people. And, and that uses... That really enables people to not only see a photo, but they also can understand what the photo um, is. So, for example, if we're talking about a picture of um, one of our rescuers, you know, let's talk about Silas. There's a picture of him. Um, he's a very, very strong person. He was a, um, a soldier in the... Rwandan army, he was a Hutu, and he rescued 50 people at risk to himself. Now, the picture shows him as very strong, um, and you want to know what he's saying. You want to know what's going on in that head and that very handsome, you know, dignified person. And so the words really go along with the photo, because just that photo is strong, but then you sort of look at the picture and it's like, whoa, what's going on here? What did he do? Why is he in here? And then you read that he's rescued 50 people, and you look at the picture and you go, wow, that is true, and I can relate to that guy, and I could have been that guy if, you know, maybe if the situation, you know, came up. And that's what I think the power of photography do, can do. It can put you in the place 
it can make you feel like you possibly could have been there and maybe make you act and do the right thing. What do you think your greatest achievement with Proof has been? I think our greatest achievement has been bringing these stories to over 2 million people around the world and into the United States so that they could see them in their, you know, the goal was to bring stories of moral courage um, into people's lives so that they could hear them. And we did that. And we're continuing to do that. The story of the mass incarceration exhibit that the kids did, over 70,000 people had the opportunity to seeing that a couple weeks ago at the Brooklyn uh, Bridge Park. We had it. The the exhibit is called um, Broken, the Injustice System. Mm. But I think, for me, that is one of the biggest successes, and also bringing it back home and working with students in this country, I think, is a big achievement. And then uh, my third, and um, I'm not, it's not in any order, <laughs> is working with the women in Colombia on a story on My Body is a War Zone. It's an exhibit on rape as a consequence of conflict. And I feel that those women who I worked with, there was 11 of those women, who were raped during the war, were gave, told their stories. And because they told their stories, they then went on and interviewed a 100 other women to tell their stories. And they brought it to Cuba and testified in Cuba at the uh, peace accords for Colombia. So I think those three um, projects, I'm, I feel they're very successful. Going forward... We're bringing um, a, an exhibit here that we did in India called Unearthed, um, Stories of Moral Courage in the Face of Sexual Violence, and that's going to be uh, Stories of Moral Courage in the United States centered around gender-based violence, and we're working on that now. Today on the Janice Adams Show, Proof. Media for Social Justice, a conversation with Proof founder and executive director Leora Kahn, photographer and filmmaker Michael Kirby-Smith, and University of Dayton professor Joel Proust. For more information about today's show, please visit my website, JaniceAdams.com. That's J-A-N-U-S, Adams, A-D-A-M-S, dot com. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Janice Adams.